Great. Thanks, guys. And good morning again, everyone. Uh, welcome again to our church, as I was saying earlier. Maybe you came in late, though, so if you did. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome to Hiawatha. Uh, we are, as I think Peter was saying, we're in a series right now in the book of Genesis, and so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, that'd be great. First book of the Bible, easy to find. It means beginnings, if you're newer to the Scriptures. Um, and we are uh, pretty much right in the middle of the book, at least textually, but we're nearing the end of our series in terms of the amount of sermons uh, we'll finish up here in a couple of months. Uh, picking up speed as we go, and we're at the point now in this book where we're summarizing larger sections. And so uh, it just narrative sometimes caters towards that. The beginning of the book, if you know a little bit about that, if you were here, uh, caters a bit more towards smaller sections. There's a, almost more a systematic theology kind of happening there and uh, in terms of uh, proverbial, proverbial wisdom and things that God is saying. And we had to dissect chapter 3 and talk about exactly what sin is, and it's a very important part of the series. But now we're in these larger family narratives, and we've been calling them, as many people do, patri patriarchal narratives because they focus on these uh, individual kind of initial men that God covenanted with and their wives and families as well. Uh, but these patriarchal narratives that uh, depict God's loving actions towards sinners and more precisely depict uh, his son Jesus Christ beforehand kind of through their actions and words. And not always them, though sometimes them. So Abraham and Isaac, and we're talking about Jacob today. Uh, Jacob can resemble Christ, and we've been uh, so seeing glimpses of his uh, his son, God's son ahead of time, who's going to come into the world, as we just sang about, as the lion and the lamb. But also figures kind of around them. Uh, so like Melchizedek, back in chapter 14, if you were here for that, a uh, character that talked to Abraham and blessed Abraham, uh, was a picture of Christ in, in many ways. Uh, and today, uh, we're going to see a picture of him too, kind of outside of Jacob uh, as well. So Jacob's going to be a picture of a sinner, and, uh, and so a picture of us, but that picture of Christ will kind of come alongside him uh, as well through this dream that, that he has. And so at least have that in mind if you're newer to the Bible. I've been saying this a lot. I want to repeat this, that uh, it's, this is, there's a lot of stories here in Genesis that are kind of cryptic and weird. Uh, one of the things that serves as kind of this lighthouse amidst kind of the stormy, dark, foggy seas for us to kind of look at and give us direction is Christ himself. And so uh, when we ask that question, who are the patriarchs? The answer in general, there, there's more to say here, but in general... He's a picture of us, or they're pictures of us as sinners, but they're also pictures of Jesus uh, being uh, his, his descendant. Jesus actually is the descendant of the patriarchs, and so they resemble him in, in a lot of ways. And in that way, God's moving from small to big. He, he's making, after sin comes into the world, he's making promises and being generous towards this family, but later he's going to be generous towards and bless and, and ultimately covenant with relationally the church. And God loves to do that in the Bible. He starts small and gets big. In fact, Jesus, Jesus has parables about this too, how the kingdom of God is like the smallest of seeds that become the, becomes the biggest of trees. And that's happening here throughout the whole Bible too. It's not just this parable about the kingdom of God, but the whole Bible is like that. God starts small and he gets cosmic and large and big. And so what he's doing here with the family, he's going to do towards the church. Uh, to Israel as a national entity, kind of in the Old Testament, but then uh, more so Jew and Gentile who believe in Jesus Christ in the end. The fulfillment of all of God's promises, he's going to do the same kinds of things he's doing here to this one small family. Uh, he's he's going to do it on a higher level, though, when he forgives the sins of the world. When, As Peter was saying just a second ago, when he comes to die for the sins of the world, to be that ultimate lamb. And so he's starting small. Sacrifice begins here. There's animal sacrifice in the book. Christ is going to be that final sacrifice. The promises here to this family become the promises of eternal life, uh, ultimately, uh, 
for the, for the masses, for the multitudes uh, that go beyond Jacob's uh, literal family, but all who live by faith. So in, uh, we're going to Jacob's dream today, Genesis 28. If you want to turn there, that'd be great. Um, I'm going to look at a section today, uh, summarize some other things here too. In fact, uh, we're skipping, if you're here last week, you're, you'll probably, you probably just noted this, or maybe you did, but the end of Genesis 27, the beginning of 28, I'm going to summarize here, give a little bit of context. So in, in context, Jacob and Esau are brothers, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, Jacob just deceitfully stole uh, his father Isaac's inheritance and blessing away from Esau, even though he was the second born and, and, um, and Esau was the rightful heir. Esau is super angry at this uh, and wants to kill him. Rebecca and Isaac kind of get word of this and for protection of their second born son Jacob, tell him to go to their ancestor's homeland to escape Esau, but also to find a wife. It's kind of like, mom should kill two birds with one stone, right? It's just, as long as you're there, just find a wife. But uh, we'll talk about that next week. That'll be a, a big part of next week's sermon. But on the way, this is today's, this is all context for today with number four, and that is, on the way, he has a dream about God and really a dream about the gospel uh, ahead of time. And, and remember, Jacob is a sinner. Uh, I want to make sure we understand this. If you're, if you're just joining us in this series or don't know much about Genesis yet, you got, we have to get this or the, the beautiful imagery of his dream won't matter. Uh, Jacob is, is a deceiver. He's a schemer. Uh, he, he's not showing loving actions towards his brother. He's kind of dividing the family. He's a big-time sinner, like us. And so when God starts to covenant with people like this in the Bible, this matters. If, if we see ourselves in the same shoes, it matters a ton, right? Because we're going to see ourselves as the same type of person that if God can covenant with this kind of guy, well, maybe he can covenant with me as well. And that's the whole point. And so remember that as a backdrop to what we're going to see here. Jacob is running for his life, really, from his brother Esau, and God meets him on the road and uh, starts to shape him. J- Jacob's becoming a man of faith. He's not a good guy, but remember, the heroes of the Bible are people who are messed up who have faith, messed up who believe God can save, messed up who believe it's not about them, messed up who believe God has to raise the dead, messed up who believe God provides the solution, not them. The answer is, is never for these people in Genesis. The answer is not uh, behavior modification. It's faith. It's what they're celebrated for later in the Bible and in the New Testament is they're, they're, they're hailed as heroes in the Old Testament. And you read that list in Hebrews 11, you're kind of like, well, what? If you know the stories, you've got to be kidding me. Got to be kidding me. The reason why they're celebrated is because they trusted in God for, for their deliverance, for their salvation, for their redemption, for their cleansing. And so I have that as a backdrop as we move ahead. We're going to, again, just read this now. We're going to Genesis 28, 10 to 22. Jacob has a dream. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached into the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of, your, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. 
And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had and put it under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. All right, so in summary, there's a lot going on here. We're going to focus today on the dream and a couple things about the dream. Actually, one thing primarily about the dream. We'll come to the latter aspect in a second, kind of reversing this a bit, looking at the latter portion first. He essentially dreams two things. Uh, the first is he dreams about God reaffirming this covenant, this promise to him that he gave to Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father that he would give land to Jacob and his family and descendants and ultimately the multitudes of the earth. And, and remember, as we've been saying, when God promises land, when he promises blessing and inheritance, when we kind of reverse engineer that, when we read those themes in the New Testament and how God talks about inheritance to the church, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about closeness to God. It's not about geographical land anymore in this time we live. It's, it's not about facing towards Israel. It's about the church being Israel, the true Israel of God, as the New Testament teaches. And the land is Christ. The, the, the land is really uh, everywhere now because the earth has been reclaimed. Wherever the church of God gathers, Jesus says, there I am with them. And so, and this is why Jesus talks about himself in land terms. He talks about himself as a portion, which is the same word used for the land in the Old Testament. Or he talks about himself as an inheritance, same word used for the land. And so when God's promising land to people, think small, think seed, when that grows into a tree, it means salvation from sins. It means closeness to God. It means no more barrier. So, that, so God was kind of in that physical land in the Old Testament. How much more now is he in the heart of those who believe in, in the gospel of, of Christ? And so God is, through this dream, reaffirming this covenant. Jacob's inheriting this by grace. Uh, not by works, but just because God loves him uh, by grace. And again, it points ahead to that multitudes would share in the blessing, as we've been saying in the series, by faith. So that if we have faith, we are a child of Abraham. We are in the family of God if we trust in Jesus Christ alone. So and then uh, he also then makes it clear here, and it comes back to this faith idea at the end. It really is about faith when we see how much it's about God. So God makes it clear in this dream that it's he who saves alone. Like, look at all this God is the mover here type language being used. This is all from the passage. I will give, I will bless, I will be with you, I will keep you, I will bring you back, I will give you bread, I will give you clothing, and I will keep my promises. It's a, it's a whisper of Jesus saying in the New Testament, I will not leave you as orphans. Or when Jesus says, I will give you rest. Or when Jesus says, I will give you water to drink that will quench your thirst forever. It's clearly him who does it. And, and so remember that as we look at Genesis, when you guys read your Bibles the rest of your life. The Bible is not about you. That's what this is in part saying. The Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about God. And salvation's not about you. So these are, these are early promises of salvation, kind of an infantile state here that God is giving to Jacob. And it's all on him. It's entirely on him. 
I will do all of this by grace so that we can affirm salvation is not about us. It's about what God does. So that's the first thing. Kind of spilling into this latter thing, we'll look more specifically at this idea. The, the second thing he gets is, he, in the dream, is a ladder. He dreams about a ladder with angels ascending and descending on it. So there he is there with not the best of pillows, uh, which one thing about this passage I always kind of wondered about is really, I guess he didn't have kind of soft pillows in the day, but a stone? Uh, go figure. But anyway, so this ladder piece we're going to talk about the rest of today and ask the question, why the ladder? Why does the angel ladder appear? Uh, what does the angel ladder uh, mean? And I want to talk about it in two senses. So we'll talk about the general and the specific. And the general looks a little bit more kind of the broad, right in the context, and, and this thing Jacob's seen that gives hope. Uh, and that is, in general, it is a connection between heaven and earth. Uh, which, I, I, as I put here too, I, I think... Uh, it's a beautiful dream. Uh, it was probably tough to wake up from, actually, uh, in terms of what he's seen there. But I think what this does is, in light of everything that's happening in Genesis, it gives a healthy check. It helps clarify what the true problem is, but gives a healthy check to all the physical promises of God in Genesis, like the land I was talking about before, in that it, it suggests that the solution to the problem of sin is not a chunk of land. The solution to the, the distance that's between us and God now is not a chunk of land or anything really geographical at all, but God coming down to us, God descending on a ladder to us. Or at least, true salvation's not land, but closeness to God again. And so, you see, the problem here, right in the, in the context, if you know the problem, which is sin, and God's promising land, and you might think as a reader, or maybe just someone living right in that context, you might say, well, that's great. Thank you, God. It's amazing. But how does land take away my sin? And the answer is it absolutely does not. It's a picture. It's a seed. But it has to go into the tree. And it hasn't yet. So, but what, what this, this story does, and stories like this in the Bible, is it gives these healthy checks, these suggestions, that there's something bigger going on or something more that needs to happen than just a gift of land. We need God back. We need to get to him. Death awaits. Our sins keep us at a distance. I mean, all these things are the true problem of Scripture that serves as this undercurrent of everything physical happening story-wise in the Bible. So the dream kind of helps him to tap into that heavenly reality, which God does sometimes through uh, dreams, even in our lives sometimes. God can, some of you may, may get very vivid dreams sometimes. You've got to be careful with that in terms of saying if it's from God or not because it has to align with Scripture and, and what he's promising and doing uh, in this book. But he can still do it. And uh, so if you do dream vividly and God uses that, then maybe you know what I'm talking about. But the problem is here, it just in, pretend you don't know anything about the rest of the book for a second, and maybe some of you don't, that's fine. The problem here with Jacob is the ladder doesn't actually exist yet. It's just a dream. You know, like I said before, it must have been really a huge bummer to wake up from, you know, is, is your amazing dream. And you have to wake up and say, oh, it was just a dream. But the fact that Jacob dreams it gives us hope. And, and again, I think a healthy check on what these initial promises of God uh, really are, that these promises he's making to this family actually mean. They're good promises, but they're not great. 
They're good promises, but because they're incomplete and because they, they typify a better reality, they're not great. And as we keep reading in the story, and as Jesus helps kind of clarify what this dream all, all is really all about, he, he tells us what the great thing is, and that's really himself. He's basically saying, I am the great thing, or we would say that. These promises are great. This early covenant God gives to Jacob and his family are, are good, but they're not ultimate. They have a trajectory to them. They have to grow yet into full maturity. And until we get there, uh, it's, it's just a dream. It's just a foggy glimpse of hope. It's not the reality. So that, that's the general, kind of general commentary on it. But then as we get to the specifics, uh, more specifically, what does the angel ladder mean? It means Christ. And the, the New Testament helps make this connection. Uh, if you want to flip to, in your Bibles or devices to John 1, you can do that. But I'll just summarize a lot of this and we'll focus on verse 51. But in, uh, in John 1, Jesus comments on this dream, um, and, and I'll set it up here by just saying, um, some of you are aware, but in the early parts of the four gospel accounts in the New Testament, Jesus calls disciples to himself, and they all have different accounts of this. Uh, some focus more on Peter and Andrew, uh, some focus uh, a little bit more on others, and, and John has this unique account, not in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's just in John, and this, this unique account of how Nathaniel, one of the disciples, runs to Jesus. And so I'll summarize this story, but it's in this section here. At, at, at one point, Nathaniel runs to Christ. Jesus already called a number of disciples to himself, and, and he had heard something about him. Nathaniel runs to him, and, and Jesus makes it clear right away uh, that he knew who he was, even though they were strangers to each other at this point. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I, I saw you a moment ago sitting under that fig tree way over there, which was some distance away. And so Nathaniel's floored by this. This would be like somebody like tomorrow if you guys go to work and a relative stranger at work says, I saw you at your breakfast table eating those two eggs over medium with just a little bit of salt and pepper on them and that half glass of orange juice. And I saw your dog kind of just waiting there for food as well, waiting for the scraps. And I saw you, um, you know, reading your Bible a little bit or whatever it was. Like, you'd be like, you'd be freaked out, right? You'd be like, what kind of camera do you have? That's exactly what he's saying. It's basically just as I saw you. And Nathaniel's floored by this. This is, a, this is an expression of the divinity of Christ. He's, he's omnipotent. He's, in a sense, even though he's fully human here, he's, just, in a sense, everywhere. He, he's omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful and, and kind of all-seeing. So Nathaniel's floored by this, they have a further exchange, but then Jesus, in, in context with that, raises the bar. He says, if you think that's amazing, something greater is coming. If you think that demonstration of my power was awesome, wait until you see what's coming next. And then he says what it is. In, in verse 51, he says, this is the most important verse, by the way, you can, I encourage you guys to write this down, this is the most important verse in the Bible in commentary on Genesis 28 that there is because of how Jesus quotes it. It says, And Jesus said to Nathanael, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is Christ. So you think what I just said about you watching you sit under the fig tree is great? Here's what's greater. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on me, the Son of Man, as if I were the latter. Same exact language used in Genesis 28. 
And he uses that imagery then from Jacob's dream about the ladder then to, to be this kind of self-referential prophecy. See, so what Jacob dreamed, I, I am here to, to fulfill. And it's essentially what he's saying. I now, like Jacob saw in a dream, I am the connection point between heaven and earth. I am, in effect, God in the flesh. I am going to bring heaven here. And, and, and note carefully his words. He's not telling people about a ladder, nor is he even saying that he will ascend and descend on the ladder himself. He's saying he is the ladder. Back in that picture, he actually is the structure between heaven and earth that angels are ascending and descending on. So it's not saying they're coming down on his head. He's saying he actually is that connection point. I am the true Jacob's ladder. And so know carefully what he's talking about. He's saying he actually is the structure, which fits very well with how he talks about himself elsewhere in John when he says, and actually Peter was saying this, I think, before, when he says, I am the door between you and God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread. I am the true fountain. John has a repeated theme of using I am statements, where Jesus says, I am all of these things. And it, so it fits very well with John's theology to say, I am the latter. That's what he's saying here. With, with Genesis 28 language, he's saying, I am the true one who will have angels ascend and descend on me. I am the son of man. I am the connection point between heaven and earth. So it's a striking choice of words by Jesus, actually, early on in his ministry, because he gets, this is the first chapter of the book, he gets crystal clear, really, right away with what his mission is. It's not to push global humanitarianism. Rather, he's saying, remember Jacob's dream? Remember that hopeful, uh, almost apocalyptic image of there being no more barrier between God and people? That's what I came to accomplish for you. I came to make that dream true. That's why I'm here. That's my mission. These other miracles of me kind of seeing people way over there, when I shouldn't be able to know what they're doing, that's a miracle, but that's lesser. That's lesser. What's greater is, is when, when the heavens will open and you will see me connecting God and sinners. And so it's future tense. He's looking ahead in his ministry. He's not saying you're seeing this now. He's saying you, you will see this when I die on a cross for the sins of the world. And so it's a picture of the gospel ahead of time. Uh, you know, as you look at Jacob here, back in the story as well, uh, it, it's, it's a picture of sin being overcome by grace. Remember Jacob's issues. We talked about that. But I think one of the huge narrative points to what's happening in Genesis 28 in terms of the dream is to note that Jacob never climbs the ladder. Oops, slip back there. <laughs> it always falls off. Jacob never climbs the ladder in the dream, which is... It's, it's kind of like, you know, dreaming about a, a large red button that says, push me. And the dreamer just kind of sits there and looks at it for a half hour and then wakes up. Because what do you do with ladders? The ladder presents itself. You climb them. We don't hang them on our walls to look at them. We climb them. But he didn't. And, and there's a reason why he didn't. There's a reason why Jacob does not climb the ladder into heaven is because that's not the gospel. That's not the promise. Rather, the image of salvation here in, in form of a ladder between heaven and earth just presents itself. You know, Jacob didn't go to bed that night thinking, 
trying really hard to dream about it, knowing I know what the future holds. I know what it means for God to save people. I know what God's going to do in the future. I'm that smart. And so I'm going to think about it really long and hard so that God will give me a dream tonight about it. Like he didn't know. God just presented itself, and that's, that's the grace in the story. And, and there's more. He's asleep. You know, that's, that's a huge, actually repeated theme in Genesis. Uh, if you guys remember back in Genesis 15, Abraham falls asleep as well. And God makes promises to him in the same state. Uh, and God loves to do that. Uh, it's, it's a repeated deal. Uh, God likes to make promises and reveal gospel truths when people are sleeping. To show how little it's about us. When God makes promises, when when he expresses love, when he says, this is what I'm going to do in the future, I'm going to covenant with you relationally, a lot of times people are just conked out, drooling on their pillow. To show that there's nothing God is expecting from people. There's nothing they're giving him in that moment. There's no, okay, great God, here's a bunch of my stuff so that you can kind of make sure that happens. I like the sound of that. Let's shake. They're not even shaking. It was the same with Abraham uh, back in chapter 15. It's the same here with Jacob. God is just saying, in in your state of sleep, and and actually God says this uh, later in the Old Testament, I don't sleep or slumber. You sleep. We all sleep every night, I think in part because sleep is great. I love sleep. It's a gift. But it's also to show us that it's not about us. God is at work when we sleep. God is at work loving us. He's at work fighting our battles. He's at work protecting our lives. He's at work saving us from our sins when we're sleeping, doing nothing to contribute. This is the part of the gospel story, and it's embedded right here in narrative form. Jacob does not climb the ladder. In fact, he's asleep. And of course, on top of all of that, we've been saying he's a big-time sinner. Running from those wanting his life, alone, afraid, sleeping on rocks, he just got done lying to his dad's face. And so it makes sense, right, that, that, you know, God is not saying, oh, Jacob, you're amazing. Here's this ladder. Just come on up. I mean, you're like the first guy. No one's ever done this. Of course not. It's not, he's not dreaming about a trophy descending out of heaven into his lap. Oh, this, um, thank you, you know, it's a big trophy. It's a ladder that's not climbed. It's a ladder that's not climbed suggests that God comes here. You see this narrative kind of literary device being employed? It's, 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 this, it's further, furthering, kind of undergirding, undercurrenting the gospel idea in early forms uh, back in Genesis 28. This is not an award ceremony. It's a salvation experience. It's a dream of God. It's a dream of his grace. If if we think for a second God had to do this, we miss the whole point. We have to back it all up with this dark, sticky, stinky, just kind of gross picture of Jacob and say it's against the backdrop of all of that, God gives him this vision of salvation. In the context of being an absolute mess, God comes his way. And gives him an undeserved dream. So this gospel then is distinct from us. It's, we say a lot here, objective to us. It's not subjective. It, it, it affects us subjectively inside, but the gospel is something that happens outside of us. Like, you know, like for Jacob, it was 
in the dream, it was apart from him. The ladder was over there. Just like we say, the essence of the gospel is Jesus dying on a cross for our sins way over there. And we would say geographically and time-wise and, and so forth. We weren't even there. And God was dying for people. He was dying for you and me in this very room. The gospel says, here's what God has to give you and me in love. It, it doesn't ask us anything except to trust in it and to believe. And, and so the, the gospel then is, is simply this. It's the man on the cross when Jesus said to Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and me being like a Jacob's ladder. You will see angels of God ascending and descending, not this time on a ladder, but on me. When, when he's saying that in John 1, he's speaking future tense. Note the will. Future tense, again. He's not doing that here to Nathanael. He's going to. He's talking about this event right here when when Christ is actually kind of stretched up and the cross and even his body is pointed up into the heavens to almost be a symbol, with arms stretched wide, to almost be a symbol itself of this is how you're saved. This is how you get in. This is my gift, myself. It's a very spiritual, very apocalyptic uh, moment. It's the climax of all of biblical history. Everything's pointed here. Little strange, trippy dreams, even, that God gives one of the patriarchs way back in Genesis 28. This would have been over 2,000 years, uh, or around 2,000 years before Christ came on. It's 4,000 years ago from our vantage point in history right now. Dreams themselves are all wrapped up into what God is doing um, 2,000 years ago from our vantage point through his son's ministry, but specifically in his ministry, his death and resurrection. The one who fixes the chasm between us and God so that we affirm it's by grace, not by works. So in summary, what do we do with this? Uh, in a couple of summative comments here first. Uh, the, the Old Testament is full of dreams, but the New Testament is full of the reality of the gospel. It's, it's no longer a dream. You know, I, I think partly what the gospel should do to us in this room, and if you're saved, you, you've had this experience, I know, but this can be an ongoing thing too. If you're not saved yet, you can look forward to this. Coming to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins is like, is like waking up from a really good dream. You know that feeling you get? Like, it's oh, it's actually true, you know, or um, like I, I dreamt that, but oh, it's going to come to pass today, or it's something I have to look forward to. That feeling you get when you have that it's kind of like that. Because for Jacob, it wasn't true yet. Not the best of experiences waking up because it was intangible. But for us, in the New Testament era, it's a reality. What Jacob saw in part, we see in full. What Jacob saw in seed form, we have in large tree form, to pull from Jesus' parable about the kingdom. What Jacob saw in dream form, we have in, in reality form. And it's a ladder, not to climb, but to bring heaven here. It, it's, it's a ladder painted with blood when he bore our sins. Subjective, objective, things we don't even know we're doing. There's, there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament in regards to Israel when God is covenanting with them, which talks about sacrifices happening for unintentional sins. 
things they didn't even know they were doing. We're way worse than we think we are. And we, we come to that point that we're going to want this a lot more. Jesus is not saying when he's dying on a cross, be a good person. He's saying, this is my gift to you sinners. Jacob's. Jacob's of the world. I love you. I'm chasing you down as you're running for your life with your head on a rock. Alone, full of fear. I love you. And, and the dream we get is, and the reality we get is him. This is my expression of love. When I die for the worst of things you've ever done and for future sins. So that's by grace you're saved. That, that's what gets you in. Not your works, not your righteousness, not your morality. It's not what the scripture teaches. Certainly not what Genesis 28 is saying. There's no mention of law. It's just God saying, here I am. And here's my salvation plan. Heaven and earth connected. And one day my son's going to come into the world. Quote this dream, quote this verse verbatim, and say, that's what the dream was about. But now I'm the latter. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father God except through me. John 14, 6. So the con conclusion, it's a call to belief in the gospel like Jacob ahead of time. Jacob, remember, the fool and the liar. And, and again, I, I, wanna, I think this is something that I'm not just commenting theologically on this. I want you to hear this as if it were a word from God from the scriptures because it is. Do not climb the ladder. Don't do something Jacob never did in the first dream. And don't do something Jesus never said to do. The ladder's not for climbing. It's for someone to come here. When God became a human being, he came down the ladder. When he died on a cross for our sins, he connected like a ladder, heaven and earth. So there's no more barrier between you and me. But it's decidedly not for climbing. That's that strange narrative point we have in Genesis 28. Why don't you go up instead of lying there with drool on your pillow? Believe the gospel. Believe Jesus died for your sins for the first or millionth time today. And then note at the end here too, this is the last verse, which is why I want to close with this. Um, in the end, uh, Jacob says, if, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, then the Lord shall be my God. Which is a really interesting way to end. It's, it's, kind of a, it's, it's not to kind of condone making vows back to God. And there's an element of what Jacob is doing here that's kind of incomplete and uh, not an example to follow. But note, what's, note what he's saying here, just in the big, kind of the big picture. He's saying... Our relationship now, my relationship with God, with the Lord, is based completely on what he does for me, not what I do for him. Do you guys see that? He's saying, if God will be with me, he will keep me. He will give me bread. He'll give me food. He'll give me clothing. In the confines or context of all of that, he is my God. It's like saying, you know, as a parent, my son and daughter, their identity is that they're my son and daughter, and Aletha's son and daughter. That identifies them. Y your, your identity as a child of God is simply being a child of God. It's based on what God does for you. You know, it's, it's the man on the cross. If God will do that for you, 
if he will go to hell for you and die for you, see, then he will be your God. He will make you an enemy, he'll make an enemy into a friend. He'll make an enemy into a child, an enemy into an adopted son or daughter. He will bring you into his house. God does not say through the cross, do this or else. There's, and that, we get a glimpse of that here in Genesis 28. The essence of our relationship with God is, and not just the essence, 100% is on his shoulders. He, he bears the brunt. He bears the brunt. He bears the load. He has fed us, clothed us spiritually. He's, he's done all of that to take away our sins. He's served as that gap chasm fixer, and he, is, he has done it by, by grace. And so, so see that as we close the book on this chapter, and we'll look at Jacob more next week, but this is shaping for Jacob. If you look at last week where he was at, if you look at where he's going and what the New Testament says about him, this is a shaping moment for him, and there's going to be more. But he's turning into a man of faith, dependence, not a good guy, though I'm sure his life changed in light of what God said here, but he became a man of trust in God. And that's exactly what happens when, when us sinners come before the cross. We, we change from self-dependence to God-dependence. We, we throw away what was formerly to our credit and, and we bend the knee before God and say, that, that is the only way in. And this is, this is basic Christian stuff here. If we don't have that, we are not Christian. We have, we have nothing. If, if, you're, if we're banking on more than him and more than him in that moment, what he fulfills there about Genesis 28, if we're banking on more than that, we, we, instantly, you know, we, we instantly don't have the gospel in that moment. We don't have the truth. We're climbing the ladder in some form. This is amazing, God. But let me tell you what I got back here in my back pocket. Check this out. So we have to jettison that idea um, and instead see Christ as the fulfillment of Jacob's dream as he wanted us to as the only way to be saved, the only way to fulfill the promises of God in the Old Testament, which are for our benefit, that we might be near to him again. So with that, settled me close. God, thank you uh, so much for the gospel in this passage today. Thank you for grace upon grace, as the New Testament says, grace upon grace. It's, um, in a passage like this especially, if like the truck is just backed up and dumped on us, all the love and, and grace and peace, it's about you. It's about you. It's about you. You are the ladder. So God, help us to believe in that. Humble us in that. Uh, the pridefulness in our hearts will bristle at that idea, the idea that it's completely all about you and not about us. But it is so true. And so uh, shape, in a, shape us, God, uh, in, in that truth today. Help us to worship, truly worship, and be thankful because it actually is about you. And you have found us on the road running for our life from sin and death and satanic oppression. And you found us there like Jacob on that road, running from his life, full of fear and loneliness. And you have, appeared, you have shown us what it means to be saved. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Angels descending and ascending on that ladder to show us that's the way to God. So we thank you for that reality today. Help us to worship in response. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.